Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hey, Perpetual Traffic listeners, welcome to today's year end special. And we want to wish you a happy new year, no matter when you are catching this. And because today is a New Year's Eve special, we thought that it would be fun to go back and look at some of our favorite moments and highlights from this past year. It has been an exciting and crazy year. And uh, I'm sure for you, and definitely for me and everybody on the Perpetual Traffic team, but there were some incredible highlights and some incredible episodes. And we just want to pay tribute to some of those before the year ends. Now, we've got five amazing clips lined up for you from some of our favorite episodes of this year. But before we get into that, we want to make one special request. If you've listened to any amount of shows this year, can you let us know what you liked and what you didn't like? We're trying to make 2022 our best year. And Kasim, Ralph, and I have ambitions of being the number one marketing podcast on the planet. And we think that we can do it. In fact, because of amazing listeners like you, I know that we can make it happen, but we want to know how we can get better. So if you have an extra minute, can you go to perpetualtraffic.com slash better and let us know how we can improve? We want to know what you like, but we also want to know how we can improve. So once again, that's perpetualtraffic.com slash better, and you'll be able to fill out a quick form that will really help us improve the show. Now, let's get into today's first clip, and this is actually from episode 300 this past year with Ralph Amanda Powell and Vanessa Vega on launching a product from scratch. And I wanted to make sure that we had a clip with Amanda on here because she was such an important part of the show and she is still an important part of the show and a vast part of our archives. And so I thought this would be a great clip to start off with. And in this, they talk about the importance of not only being able to deliver for your clients, but also the importance of continuously filling your own pipeline with leads for potential clients. So enough of me, let's get into the first clip with Ralph, Amanda, and Vanessa. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wilders and the authors of Reputation King, my buddies Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. 
And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. And Ralph, I'm sure you can speak to this even more than I can, but I feel like the like very first thing you said is we're so focused on our clients that we never did the marketing for ourselves. And I feel like that's such a pain point for business owners, like across the industry is like, I'm trying to help my clients. I don't have time to market my agency, but then you like lose the lead flow. Right. So So it's like really counterintuitive. And I feel like that's such a a pain point that everyone experiences really when you're so focused on surprising and delighting a client that you can't do it for your own business. Yeah, we were so focused on that. Absolutely. And I I think this is instructive for any business because I would challenge any business to do what we've done here is try and transform and, and look, okay, we've gotten to a certain level with this level of success, with this level of, you know, referral business, which is in essence really how we built tier 11. You, you probably, as a business owner, might have the same issue. Like, that's one of the reasons probably why you're listening to this show. I built a business because I created a good product. People actually do like it, but how do I get it to the next level? Or maybe, you know, you haven't created it yet, and you're kind of looking to, like, what is that offer? What is that thing that the market really wants? So we're going to speak to a lot of these different avatars here. The point is, with us, you know, we had we really hadn't done what we do for our customers because we were so focused on the thing that they wanted more so, but we reached a level of growth where we can't do that anymore. We actually have to go out and, you know, be a real, you know, have a real marketing department and have real people doing the things that we need to do. And the interesting part is that once we started doing it and it started to really resonate, it was because we were promoting another product. This is one of the strange things is that we were promoting the agency accelerator program, which is a really successful program for agency owners. But we were getting leads for the agency because we were teaching agency owners what we did. And those businesses on some of our sales calls were like, yeah, I saw you guys have an agency program, but it sounds like your agency is pretty good and knows what it's doing. I'd like to use that service. And that hook all of a sudden sort of changed everything for us. It changed our whole marketing. So we listened to the market, but we we put ads and we put stuff out there, put content out there, but we really pivoted our entire pitch, our entire offer based upon feedback that was almost by mistake in a lot of ways. And now it's like, all right, well, now we know we can convert cold traffic into potential customers for us. How do we take it to the next level? And that's when we say, all right, we really need to build out our own internal marketing department. And a lot of that has to do with additional ways in which to engage our customers, additional pathways in which to engage with our brand. It's not just those video ads that work really well. It's going to be all the other things that go along with it. And I think that any business owner probably runs into that same thing. And you reach a certain level of growth and you're like, all right, I need more in order to grow. 
So what we're doing here on this show in this, you know, create a product from scratch by creating a product from scratch can apply to anybody, whether you're starting just now or whether you're a much more mature business like tier 11 or maybe even larger. It's like how many different ways can you engage with your audience in order to scale and grow? One of the things that that you just said, Ralph, in terms of, you know, it wasn't necessarily the offer that we thought was going to work. And Vanessa, that's what you just said, too. Like, oh, well, this funnel wasn't necessarily working. But now it is because we've diversified. And I I think that's so, so important because, again, as you grow and expand as a business, your audience is growing and expanding. And maybe it is the same offer, but maybe it's the same offer on a different platform. Maybe you're not getting the click through Facebook. Maybe you're getting the click through, Vanessa, you said LinkedIn or social channels. And I think that's something, Ralph, we were also discussing previously in terms of different businesses are going to thrive in different platforms. And when you do start to hit that kind of ceiling of this is as far as I can go on this platform, I've kind of maxed out, you can move like your audience is going to be in different places. They are not only on one platform. Now, of course, the goal is to find the platform they're on most heavily, right? But they are going to be living other places as well. And yeah, like I said, when we were discussing this, it was like one business is going to be totally focused on generating leads through you know, email, but another business is going to be totally focused on generating leads through Instagram. And that's totally okay. It's, it's one is not right. And one is not wrong. It's just the audience lives in different places. And I think it's exactly what we want to help you discover as we start, start to move forward. And like you said, Ralph, launch a product by launching a product. So you can watch us do it because you know, everything that we're going to put out in order to figure out what you guys want and what's going to help you guys is not going to be great. Like, Hopefully it is like, obviously that's the ideal when you're starting a business and you're launching a product is that everything's perfect. But I think, you know, even the catchphrase that we used to use at digital marketer, like done beats perfect is also so important. Like let's implement. And if it doesn't work, we'll pull it back and fix it. And that's so important when you're, you're launching something. And that's what we want to help you guys discover is like, just put it out into the world. And if they hate it, okay, now, you know, now you have extra insight and extra data around what your audience doesn't like. And that's actually useful. Of course, you know, it's frustrating, but it's useful. So now you know how to pivot as a business and how to pivot your offer, how to pivot your product and move forward. And I think that's, you know, it's really valuable. And that's what we want to help you figure out. Well, you learn so much more by failure than you do success. I mean, the old adage, but it really is true. I mean, there's plenty of, there's plenty of campaigns. I mean, we always say this about 80 percent, 70 percent or so of our campaigns that we launch inside tier 11 for our customers fail. But what we do is we get a fair amount of data like, all right, well, click through rate, you know, cost per click impressions. Do they watch the video? How much percentage of the video? Maybe they didn't purchase. Maybe, you know, you get a bunch of add to carts and then they, they fall off there. Like looking at every sort of part of your metrics, which is super important, which could be an entire show. The point is, is like through that failure, we understand what the market is resonating with and what it's not resonating with. And I think that's some of the, some of the things that, you know, we see as a real impediment to growth is people are fearful of actually launching something before they really think it's done. 
And, you know, I think it was Reed Hoffman who said, you know, if you launch your first product and you aren't embarrassed by 1.0, then you've launched it too late. And that's what we're basically going to do here is you guys are going to see us, you know, hopefully it's successful, but chances are it probably won't be. And I think that's instructive as well. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of good points here uh, all along the way. And obviously, you know, our, our journey is, is instructive from a tier 11 perspective of, you know, growing our business through different offerings. You're doing the same thing right now inside Boss Babe, you know, launching products. You launched a product what, last week that was like hugely successful right out of the gate. You know, your, your bosses are like, she's the Boss Babe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can't take all the credit. There is a marketing team that launches the product. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it went really well, but I'll tell you why it went really well is because we did cross-platform. Like mm -hmm. we were, a, and we looked at so much data, y'all. Like it, it was insane. And what we did was, is we had done so much prep work based on the data from previous launches. So when I came in, honestly, I, I didn't have much to do with this. My team just started implementing this. We launched like two weeks after I started, but you know, what happened was, is we're looking at data and as we're doing like the pre-promotion, we're starting to see what channels are working. So, you know what we did? Okay. These channels are working. We're taking copy that's working from the email and we're pulling that and replacing, you know, the copy that's on Instagram so that we can pivot with what the market is resonating with. And I think that's so important to not only just for a launch, but for your business is that, you know, if you're tracking the right metrics, you're going to be able to see really easily what's working and what's not. Mm -hmm. And that's so important. And that's why our launch that we did, you know, last week, it's, it's about to end, you know, at the end of the week, but that's why it went so smoothly is because we were able to look you know, before we even launched the product, as we were starting to do pre-promotion of, okay, this is working. This is not, we're pivoting. It's like a, I, I mean, I don't think I coined this term, but like a pivot plan in terms of like this email's resonating. This is not, we need to change the copy of this one. This image on social is resonating. This one's not, we need to move everything before launch to this type of image. And that's, that's exactly what you need to do in your business. That's exactly what we're talking about is sure. evolving with your customer and evolving. Like, what do people want? Okay. If, why would I try to force them into something that's not resonating, especially if it's all the same product, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. It's about the offer, right? Like I just need to reframe the offer so that it sounds more appealing to my customer. It's really, you know, it's not rocket science. I think that's some, sometimes we get so into the strategies and the new and like, the new, you know, social media platforms that are coming out that were like, this is so complicated. I'm so stressed out, but really at all, you know, we've been talking about this God for like the last year, Ralph of it's simplifying. It, you just have to simplify. And it's really not that difficult to understand like, okay, this is working. This is not, I'm pivoting to the, what is working. All right. I hope you enjoyed that clip with Ralph, Amanda, and Vanessa. This next clip is actually from episode 316 where Ralph proposes officially to Kasim, I guess unofficially proposes to bring him on as the new host. And if you've been listening recently, you've probably seen how amazing and valuable Kasim is to the show. And I know that myself as a producer, I couldn't be more grateful for having Ralph and Kasim as the hosts of this show. They're some of the smartest and funniest marketers I know. And I think this clip just about sums it up. So let's get into this clip from episode 316, where they talk a little bit about getting started with YouTube ads. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 300 and 
16, and I'm here alongside virtually my awesome guest co-host, Kasim Aslam. You know, maybe we should just break the news to everybody. Why do I keep saying guest podcast co-host anymore? They're kind of getting to know who you are. Like, uh, should we make a formal announcement before I actually introduce you as a guest? Ralph, are you proposing right now? Is that I what's happening? I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm like down on one knee right now. You just well, made me the happiest marketer in the world. Yeah, well, this is totally unscripted. You know, even though we've been, you know, on our, on our pre-record for about 90 minutes or so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think you deserve a permanent spot here. I'm just sort of jumping ahead of myself unless Ryan Dice like kicks me in the ass and says differently. But, you know, I think you've been doing an awesome job here. So why not make you the permanent guest host, which means that you would be the co-host at this point in time, because you certainly have des you deserve it. And, you know, with all the stuff that we got cooking right now, we might as well get some permanency in this perpetual traffic podcast moving forward. So anyway, there's my proposal to you down on one knee virtually. What say you? Well, A, I couldn't be more excited. So first of all, thank you. And B, what's really funny for our listeners is if you never hear from me again, you know that Ryan just straight up, what are the old vaudeville things where they came in with the cane and like yanked him right off the stage? That's what happened. That's exactly what happened. And Ryan does own one of those canes, by the way. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. He's that old school. So, well, no, this is, this is cool. So obviously Amanda has moved on to other things outside of DM and, you know, we still are in contact with her, but her new job outside of DM over at Boss Babe is just taking up a little bit too much of her regular time. It's totally understandable, but hopefully we can get her back as like a guest occasionally here on Perpetual Traffic. But we're just assuming here because we haven't asked anyone and I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in, uh, you know, ask for forgiveness later. So, you know, Ryan, if this means, you know, I'm in the jailhouse or the doghouse or whatever house I would be in that isn't like my own house, so be it, because I think the perpetual traffic listener here is, is pretty happy with what you've been doing here at Casa. But we're going to be talking today about YouTube, which is another channel and another social channel. It's one of those other socials that we oftentimes refer to here that you and I have a fair amount of experience in and are also seeing pretty good results within our respective agencies for customers that are already on our primary channels. So we at Tier 11 are known primarily for Facebook and Instagram. It's not the only thing we do. We happen to specialize in that because it's a great place to start. But then once we gain success there, we found that a lot of those same learnings that you garner from Facebook and Instagram and just social media just in general will translate over into other channels. And one of those channels that we're having really profound success with, especially right off the bat, and we'll be talking about some of that here today, is over on YouTube. And I know you guys have been, obviously, as a Google agency and smart shopping, which, you know, we did a whole episode on that a few episodes back. You guys have experienced a, a fair amount of success there as well. And in the e-commerce niche, on top of that, which is what a lot of YouTube agencies stay away from because it's, they, you know, it's hard. It's not as easy as maybe the stuff that we were doing on our side of the equation, but you've got sort of some special sauce that you guys have been able to put into that and really be able to create some pretty incredible results for some of your customers. Talk about that for us. Yeah. Well, I, you know, so a couple of notes there. I think that YouTube is 
YouTube is phenomenal when you have a multi-channel traffic strategy. I think YouTube is tough to play standalone in a silo. So what you just said, Ralph, we learn on Facebook and Instagram, and then we move to YouTube. We do a similar thing. We learn inside of smart shopping, and then you know we sort of expand what we're learning um, into YouTube. YouTube is an expensive ecosystem to start with. So I don't know, and you know, stop me if you disagree. I don't know that I'd come out swinging with YouTube. My recommendation is go learn your lessons. And, and I actually really, I, to be honest with you, I prefer learning in Facebook than anything because the, the two networks are really analogous as far as the way that people interact with them. You know, it's still interrupter marketing. It's content driven. It's, you know, value first. And so if you can make something work in Facebook, the odds that it works in YouTube, I think obviously not guaranteed, but I think they're pretty high. So YouTube ends up being like the second tier for us. We, we don't want to go there directly, but once we've proven concept and then our customer comes to us and like, all right, we're tapped out. You know, we've exhausted all the impression share. Where else do we go? YouTube's always a really good next option. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I have talked to a lot of other agencies and other business owners there. They might've done that in the reverse. They might've started with YouTube because you know, it's the 800 pound gorilla in the video space and maybe their product lends itself really well to video to start. They start there, get frustrated and then go to another platform. We don't recommend that being the starting point, but you know, there are other uh, agencies that do do that. So not to disparage them as well, but I mean, we look at it very similarly. If we get, you know, interruption marketing is sort of, sort of a thing and interruption marketing is what happens inside Facebook. You're not necessarily there looking for an ad, but same thing with YouTube. You're not necessarily, maybe you can challenge this to a certain degree on the shopping side, but you're not necessarily, at least for the primary ad modality inside YouTube, you're not really looking for a solution. So you do have to have something that pulls in that audience. And for us, we use a tremendous amount of video for interruption marketing purposes for Facebook. So why wouldn't that transfer well, or at least translate at least initially over to YouTube? It's a logical next step for us. Yeah. We are. So YouTube has a little bit more in the way of intent. You know, mm -hmm. like if somebody's searching for a YouTube video, there's intrinsic qualification to their search. We've got a client, for instance, that sells a, a special type of hat. And I won't go into detail as to what it is because I'll give them right away. But it was recently re featured in the Dave Bautista Netflix movie, by the way. But the hat has a, a function that people search to solve. They don't know the hat is available, but they're, you know, searching Google and or YouTube for, you know, how can I uh, make this happen? And, and that articulation of intent inside of YouTube, I think, is maybe one step closer to a, to a purchase event than in Facebook, where you're just, you know, putting yourself in front of somebody based off of where they are demographically and psychographically. But that said you're still interrupting them. You're still, it's not exactly what they wanted per se. And, you know, to the point you made earlier, I have seen agencies start with YouTube. Shout out actually to a buddy of mine. You know, Chris Brewer over at OMG Commerce? I do. Yeah. Good dude. Sharp cat. They are YouTube assassins. And, but the thing, and, and Chris would, I think, agree with this if he were on this call. If you're going to start with YouTube, you got to have some bucks. Like your, your ad spend is high, I think mid five figures is, you know, pretty healthy. And so if you don't have the time or the money to, if your threshold for pain there isn't high, I don't, I don't know that the YouTube starting point is necessarily aligned. So I hope I didn't just overstep my bounds there, Ralph. I don't want to lob any grenades at some friendly agency of ours. No, I would say that's, that's accurate. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, <laughs> the, the old expression is the more you spend, the more you learn, I suppose. But I think it, it does seem like with YouTube and, you know, speaking to a number of 
you know, my friends who are, you know, far greater specialists on the platform, that is absolutely the case. And you sort of reach this scale, this kind of, you know, spinning wheel or at least gain momentum after a certain point in time. And that's typically in the five figures per month spend range. So if you, you know, if you play around in the, in the, you know, the four figure range or less, I don't know as if just from a logical perspective, you're really going to be able to gain a lot, a whole lot of momentum. I think that's fairly consistent, but once you gain that momentum, all of a sudden the scale really starts to happen. Once you start to dial it in, especially if, if you're in the right types of markets, especially the broader base markets, we've definitely seen that. And on your side, it's like the, a lot of your customers that are with Google shopping or just reg, regular Google customers are in e-commerce, but like, how do you guys approach that specifically? Or what's the strategy you know, within the Solutions 8 uh, media hierarchy as far as what success looks like inside YouTube? You have to have a product with a unique value proposition. You know, if you're a Me Too anything, you're not going to have any success on YouTube because you're trying to capture people's attention. So you have to have something that's, you know, special, unique, and special and unique, by the way, doesn't need, need to be mind-blowing. You don't have to invent the next new thing. But, you know, if, if you're selling microphones, let's say, because you and I were talking about microphones earlier, and you've got a, a couple of really solid little like, hey, our microphone comes pre-installed with the screen and, you know, we, we have the mounting gear and it's a little, and, and all you're doing is explaining the way that it works. That's enough to begin positioning content in front of people. So if there's no unique value proposition, if there's nothing that you can sort of hang your head on, so to speak, you're going to have a real tough time inside of YouTube. To be honest with you, you're going to have a tough time marketing anyway, but, but well, in, interestingly, case, yeah. you've had some success in Google smart shopping with, with stuff that's just like, I mean, it's, it's virtually just drop ship, you know, I don't want to say the word junk because I'm sure the products are fine, but, but very sterile in terms of the, the branding, the value proposition. If you're going to move to YouTube, you can't play that game anymore. Um, so you have to have USPs. And you also need to be willing to invest the time it takes for the number of impressions to, to fully permeate. You know, there's that, we've talked about this before, but there's this old, I, I mean, if I could set this thing on fire, if I could find it, there's a study that was done in, at Harvard Business School in the 1970s that says it takes seven impressions before somebody's ready to buy from you. And right. people have been quoting that till they're, what's frustrating about it is the number's 31 and, and possibly higher. My data is probably old. You know, I think that the study that I read was like from 2019, but it's, you know, significantly higher than seven and YouTube will get you there, but, but it takes some time. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that, that Google's, Google's willingness to show you to the same user multiple times dilutes as that user refuses to click. And so you'll probably see this in your own browsing experience on YouTube. You'll see the same ad a bunch and then it starts to kind of taper off and, and wind down which kind of sucks for us because at the same time, you as a user might be warming up to that, to that narrative. So you, you have to hope that you can kind of outrun Google's loss of patience for you. Mm -hmm. All right, welcome back listeners. And this next clip is the first one with a guest and it's when Ralph and Cosm sat down with Tyler Horsley to talk about SEO. And it just, it seems like this really resonated with people. And it's not really a surprise because Ralph, Kasim, and Tyler had an incredible conversation about some of the truths behind SEO. So without further ado, let's get into this clip with Tyler Horsley. Can I ask you a question quick, Tyler? Just briefly. So again, I want to get to the link building discussion, but for our listeners, you mentioned yeah. technical SEO. It's not something I want to glaze over. In my mind, technical SEO has always been like SEO friendly URL, title tags, alt tags, H1 tags. 
Yep. Is there anything that you would add to that or is it kind of like a one and done, my site is clean, move on? Yeah, okay. So yeah, there's quite a bit to add to technical. So depending on the sophistication of the firm and, and we pick up clients and other SEOs out there listening to this know this, it's like 50% of the clients you work with have never heard of SEO and the other 50% just fired their last agency and you need to win their trust. That's pretty much it. <laughs> and so it's like, dang it. You know, that's what we get to start with. So we, we heal a lot of broken hearts so on-site technical is the first thing that we look at. So two things. One, if you're coming from an agency that's been pumping content out for you, a question that I would ask them is, hey, can you show me in Google Analytics every single page by link structure on my website and how much traffic those pages get? The really interesting answer to that is when I look at libraries of content on websites and I actually go through their analytics, half of the content they've written over the past two years is never read by a single person. Yeah, it gets mm. nothing. I've had the same experience. Nothing. Yeah, and, sure. so, and if they're not doing internal linking, which is a part of on-site technical, um, and I'll, I'll give you a metaphor for the listeners to understand in a moment, those pages can actually become uncrawled, which, which basically means Google, you could call Google bots lazy. You're like, look, humans haven't read this thing in like five years. Why should we even categorize it or, or give this, this site credit for this? So if you have kind of an anthill, and bear with me through poor metaphors, Obviously the top of the opening is, is the best place, right? And so if you're dumping water down there, you know, each lane or each page in, in the water would be traffic in this case. You have your really popular pages that get the most traffic. We well, have all these dead pages down low. You're not even getting credit for that. So, so by the way, the last thing you'd wanna do is go hire another SEO agency to pump out more content that's not gonna be, you know, resulting in any for you or, or rank increase. So what we do is that we actually would do internal linking. And that's one technical thing you'd want to ask your agency about. It's like, let's take those pages that get massive amounts of traffic and link back or internally link those pages that don't. Other blogs too, just as a side note here, I've seen a lot of SEO companies writing blogs for companies, no call to action. So the best case scenario, your blog ranks first on Google. Great job. If that's my first experience of seeing you online and I read this great story and have no way to actually convert what is the point, <laughs> right? Uh -huh. So have a call to action at the end of those things. So other types of on-site technical, and, and by the way, that's usually why we can jump in directly to link building because these people have adequate content or even some content not even being seen. It's not, they're not even getting the credit for that online. And that's typically because agencies don't do link building. Uh, well, I've got a, an ax to grind there. The reason I bring it up is because my experience has been exactly what you said. Agencies are doing a, you know content creation, but then I've also seen, especially in not to, slander our collective environment, but with offshore agencies, they do a lot of technical SEO on a recurring basis. And so I'll see clients that are like, you know, oh yeah, they're, you know, they send me the report and they've tweaked like meta descriptions or title tags or whatever. In my mind, I'm like, what could that have done? So, you know, technical SEO on a recurring basis, your thoughts on that? Yeah. So let's use that other metaphor. If we have a house up in the mountains and that's the website we just talked about, now we have content. So we have rooms for people to engage. And now I've gone in and I've painted all the rooms and optimized the site. I've cleaned the whole house. You're not adding new rooms on. I've cleaned the house. Why would you need to pay me to re-optimize a site over and over and over again each month? At Nuclear, at our company, we do most of that front-loaded. The moment that content is optimized, you don't need to keep optimizing it. It's already optimized. Now, if there is an argument, yeah, you should be doing regular crawls. You know, there's like Screaming Frog. There's other qualified platforms you can use for regular crawl reports to make sure nothing's broken. There's no, you know, 301 redirect needs or errors, et cetera. But yeah, to continue to re-optimize and more, 
that's that should unless you're changing your strategy entirely and you're like look we should actually rank this site for a different keyword set um it shouldn't really be necessary so questions i kind of ask and again this is why a lot of seo agencies produce content i'm going to get a lot of hate mail after this but it's like it's all right so, bring it on like let's call it what it is it's like mm-hmm. look we're, we're trying to help them this stuff takes time seo does take time and so now you have a client asking you at month two why am i not ranking first so you have to show them i'm doing this i'm doing that here's some three or four blocks does content help of course it helps but focusing on quickest results i mean we front load all of the on-site we do site speed optimization dynamic google tag manager setup all the stuff that you've already talked about too tags descriptions those things are important but unless you're adding massive amounts of new content ongoing what else is there to, to optimize? You're mm. more of in a monitoring phase at that point. So my note there for our listeners is that agencies sell what you will buy. And Tyler just, I think, nailed it. The reason agencies are so obsessive with you know content recurring technical is because they can show you something tangible while the time it takes to rank is taking place. And really, this is a self-imposed problem. This is a problem that the consumers have created and agencies haven't been strong enough to push back on, manage the expectations for. But I like dispelling with these myths because, I mean, and dude, you saying you're going to get hate mail. I believe it because like what, what you just did, you know, I mean, you took away 50% of an agency's monetization potential, which I think is to the end user's benefit and advantage. So I love the value problems you're dropping. I'm sorry that I chose to jump on a soapbox there. Keep going. Yeah, no worries. I like how you framed that because it certainly isn't, I know a lot of SEOs in our space and, and quality companies that, yeah, content's a core deliverable and look. If you have two sites and one's producing content and one's not, and everything else is created equal and they're both doing link building, the one with content will more than likely win, right? So it's, I want to be really clear, that's important. But to your point, it's, man, you could have a, a rocket scientist working on your site and know all the right answers. But if the business owner on the other end doesn't have that level of, level of acumen or knowledge base in the technical marketing space, it's going to fly over their head. And that's okay, right? Just the same as like an electrician would fly over my head. I don't know what you do, right? So it's like, that's okay, but the trust isn't there, man, that content's sure a safety net, right? Because it's like, hey, we're doing something. And, and I know everybody, at least if they're not going to mention it out loud, they agree with that. It's like, wouldn't it be nice if clients just trusted you to do what <laughs> actually needed uh, versus doing all this extra busy work just to show them that you're, you're doing something. So, Well, I think you're creating a collective sigh of relief of a lot of the people who listen to this show who are business owners, maybe not the agency owners who are SEOs who are delivering content as a deliverable. Look and see what I did. Hey, I did it as well. You know, we're an SEO company. Not sure how much it actually helped them aside from the fact that I was running some Facebook ads to them that actually got got them real traffic and customers. But I think there's a lot of businesses out there that think like, this is just such a massive task and I have to create content. I have to pay somebody to create content all the time. Like you said in the intro, it's like most businesses have enough content, have sufficient content. I mean, but in you guys front end load, the on-site technical, mm-hmm. if you don't have enough content, if, like it really is like a thin site, you yeah. know, three, four, five pages, I mean, can you do what you need to do without adding more to it? I mean, obviously a deeper site you would like to think is also a way to persuade potential visitors to take the next step, the call to action, obviously, which is another thing that you need. Obviously, the reason why your website is there is not because it's a brochure. It's a way in which you get business. But are there cases where you're like, there's a minimum requirement for content? And then what recommendations would you have there? 
Mm-hmm. There, there is definitely cases. You know, we, we get a lot of first-time business owners and through our vetting process to see if we're the right fit, we'll look at their existing platform. If they're on a DIY platform, Squarespace, GoDaddy, Website Builder, Wix, something they put together themselves, it's a single-page homepage. No way in heck <laughs> that we can, we can adequately rank that. Now, what I would say in return, it's like, do they need to rank? Is, is that the sole goal? Like, and, and go with me through this uh, example, but if it's a plumber and it's a local area and their core goal there is to get leads and that's all they have for a website and their budget is finite, maybe the best use of their budget is actually to rank them on the map pack instead. That doesn't require a lot of the on-site optimization. That's an off-site technique. You're ranking them in the maps. So they get all of the call now. We're putting them in Google uh, guaranteed up top or, you know, so they're showing up at five stars and more. So there's other ways to acquire uh, leads for companies. It's, it's certainly not a one size fits all, but there is a minimum. There's absolutely a minimum uh, content, you know, threshold. We, we offer little content. It's, it's probably less than 5% of our business currently. It's 2021 here. So <laughs> if that changes in a couple of years, you know, um, but what we do, what, what we found is the majority of, of companies, like I mentioned, you know, in prior conversations, you know, one of our, our nutraceuticals clients, they sell liposomal glutathione with L-theanine and GABA. And it's like, what is that? You know, if, if you don't shop in that space and you're not a practitioner, now of course I know it because that's all I've lived and breathed for a certain amount of time. And I know the liposomal delivery system and the effects on the body and what function those serve. But I could also tell you, if you have a marketing intern, write content for those people, not only are they gonna have to rewrite it all because you're probably gonna misposition the, you know, the compounds used, the function, medical terminology, legal claims. You have this whole compliance issue as well as the FDA, by the way, who, sure. who's going to be breathing down their neck and now you're liable as a marketing company. We would find a qualified contractor in that space to, to produce content if the client needs it specific to that industry who's an expert because <laughs> we're great at SEO. We're not, we're not going to write in, in bio, right? So, so just 80-20 this for me before we get into the link building side, which I'm fascinated with, like on the on-site technical yep. site has minimum good amount of content. We're talking about internal linking between pages. What's the little hinge that swings the big door, at least in your experience, when you talk on-site technical, if somebody were to say, all right, I'm listening to perpetual traffic right now, and then I'm going to go back into WordPress and figure out why I'm not ranking for all the keywords that I want to be ranking for. Like, what would you tell them? that thing is, or is that an, it depends answer? Well, you know, SEO, everything's, it depends, <laughs> but right. no, let me give you a, a solid answer for 80% of the time. So let's use WordPress. Mm-hmm. So there are people out there listening right now that probably use Yoast and they're probably going, well, all my pages are green and I updated the Yoast. Why am I not ranking? <laughs> I was going to ask you like, which plugins Yoast specifically? Oh, Go yeah. ahead. Look, I'm not even bashing Yoast. I love them, but it's like, right. Man, if, if you're a highly technical SEO and on-site and you're requesting SFTP access to go in to back in to do image compression and JavaScript parsing and you name it, I mean, like Yoast is one of the most simple forms. And is it helpful? Sure. Yeah, it's a helpful way to get snippets entered and optimize one page for one keyword. What if you want to optimize it for two? There's not room to do that. And then they, I think there's like a readability score tool that's kind of in beta they need to upgrade the language processing on like readability scores. It's like, well, I'm not writing to a third grade reading level. So I'm always going to score like a 50% or less. But anyway, so I guess what I'd say is, is twofold. 
I'm a huge fan. So here's a little plug for, for WordPress. I, I love WordPress. We're on WordPress. We happen to use Divi. A lot of web devs out there will say, hey, we hate WordPress. You know, it's a blogging site originally. You know, it's not that versatile. We'd go custom platform. I'm personally not a fan of custom platforms. They need updated regularly. WordPress is always dynamic. It's a big box platform. Plus you can go with Divi. You can go with other website builders where you can do custom anything you want. Still sits on that platform, but they're SEO friendly. They're more SEO friendly out of the box. In my personal opinion, I like things like WordPress Rocket. There are a few plugins and there can be downsides to this. So please check with, you know, a, a webmaster. But I mean, for really quick image compression, like that's a solid tool. That's a, a really quick win. If you engage with an SEO company, likely they'll have those licenses. You don't need to pay for that stuff. But sure, Yoast is great. It's kind of an overglorified keyword density tool. But the onsite is important. But back to my analogy, we have a home in the mountains that no one knows about. That's your website. You've created content. Now you've optimized onsite. You've done Yoast. You've done all the things. You're still in the middle of nowhere in the mountains and no one knows you exist. So if you're not going to pair that with offsite backlink building, in most cases, eight times out of 10, you're still not going to rank. And when I say rank, will you move from page 100 to page seven? Probably. Are you actually going to be on the top five of page one? Probably not. Is that actually why you're doing SEO? Probably. So so if the goal is to win, you need to pair it with offsite backlink building. And that's what a lot of individuals miss. I want to throw one quick disclaimer. If you live in the middle of nowhere or a small town and you are a CPA and you have an SEO just doing blogging and onsite for you, that actually might be enough mm. because competition dictates. I mean, if, if we're going to go sell Ferraris in the North Pole, marketing is like five bucks. We'll get you ranked on Google in a second. Turns out no one's in the North Pole looking for Ferraris. So even no four-wheel drive either. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Well, maybe the SUV, but <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you get, you get the concept. It's, it, it is, I'm a huge advocate for link building. That's really, once the, once the house is clean, like let's focus on cranking that thing up and inviting people over. Got it. So Yoast or no Yoast? I wasn't sure if that was a plug or. Yoast for sure. I'm just a little bitter. <laughs> like, there's a lot like barrier to entry can be low for SEO and it's like, right. man, you can watch YouTube and learn how to do Yoast. That does not make you an SEO expert. It really doesn't. And, and is it a great start? Totally do sure. that for sure. But there's, there's just a lot more involved. Yeah. It's so pretty though. Like when it everything's is. lit up green. Oh, I know, man. I like, like yeah. The <laughs> My page doesn't rank, but I've got greens and Yoast. So I'm, I'm pretty green. excited. Welcome back, Perpetual Traffic listeners, and we hope that you're getting some value out of these clips. This next clip is about a topic that seemed to really resonate with a lot of business owners, especially in this post-pandemic world. And so this next clip is from episode 313, where Ralph and Kasim talk about how to find and hire top-tier talent. You've got to hire them and then trust them to do the job, right. which is, there's a lot of the world now in the last year and a half, you know, past this freaking pandemic you know, that is now in that situation. So how do you hire? What, what's, your, what's your way in which you do it? How do you start? How do you finish and all that? We opened up remotely for this reason. I, I used to have, my entire staff was right here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, you know, everybody lived within 20 miles of 85260, which is my little zip code. And I think that that becomes an impossibility at a certain point because it's hard to find. Now, I've got two agency friends that do that. One in Carlsbad, California, one in Missouri, and both of them have really long training cycles. I'm talking like 12, 18 months. And they have to because they bring in these sharp folks, but they don't necessarily have the background that they would need. I have the whole globe. 
to go after. And that's really helped me. It, it, and, and some data points for you, and I'll just start to ramble, Ralph, and you interrupt me when you think folks are throwing rocks at their speakers. It takes 241 applicants to produce one hire at Solutions 8. It's 0.4%. And I'm really proud of that. But it lets you know the labor pool you have to have access to in order to get to that number. Like we've, we have so many hurdles that people have to go through. If I didn't have a global labor pool, I couldn't do what I do. I couldn't do what I do. We couldn't be as good as we are. So 241 applicants and the application process is structured. And you and I talked about this prior to the call a little bit. It's structured in a way that filters people according to what it is that we know for a fact they have to have in order to be successful. And I think that one of the things that entrepreneur, entrepreneurs do incorrectly is they're like, gosh, I have to have a button in this seat. And so they go out and they get the first person with a resume that kind of checks the boxes. And it's, a, and y'all, I'm not being accusatory because I did this and I did it for years and I didn't even realize I was doing anything wrong, but you just end up with the wrong person over and over and over and over again. It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you headache. And I flipped the script now. Now I, I'm actually actively trying to find something wrong with these applicants instead of trying to find, you know, excuses and reasons to, to, to hire them. So that's sort of, you know, the, the overarching view and paradigm that I approach things with, which is I'm going to start with a massive group of potential prospects and then narrow down to the best of the best of the best. And in order to do that, by the way, you have to be an attractive place to work. My, my crew is amazing. Everybody loves it here. Everybody works remotely. They manage their own time. Nobody clocks in or out. I don't track PTO at all. It's like, if you need time, take it. I've had to have conversations with two employees over 15 years. I've had two issues there, but otherwise everybody's been ultra respectful. I pay more than anybody else. I pay double what we poach a lot of Google specialists out of India. I pay double what Google pays, double, sometimes awesome. more. And, and I think that's the, the critical pre prerequisite to making us the attractive place that would actually have the labor pool accessible to, to begin filtering down. Yeah. I mean, when you have the world, the globe <laughs> as your talent pool, you can afford to be pretty selective. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, provided that you have an opportunity that people actually want uh, or are interested in. And it's the same thing here. I mean, I think, you know, we have an agency owners group, uh, you know, through tier 11 and, Finding good people is a big challenge, but I also think that, and most of them are remote. So the world really is, you know, your, your potential talent pool where I find the real challenge sometimes when people are first hiring. And I know a lot of people that answered our survey are like struggling with growth and getting good people is and we spoke about this is they say, all right, well, I need to hire for somebody that has a lot of talent or is really good in this particular area of expertise. And I disagree. <laughs> I mean, I think you need somebody who has the potential to be great, but isn't necessarily great right now, because that might be somebody who is very embedded in their own individual beliefs. Mm. And we don't really care about that as much. We do do screening for individual skills. Like, for example, a media buyer has to have certain skills. Like a, to run Facebook ads, for example, or Google ads, like they have to have a certain level of aptitude. And we do screen for that. We'll get into how we screen for that. But what we look for more so than that is not necessarily the things that they currently have, but the things that they could have. And 
those things we come back to. And there's a great book, which we had discussed earlier from uh, Marcus Buckingham, his first Break All the Rules. It's one of my favorite books on, on hiring is you hire for talents. And one of the things that I believe it was in that book, and we've totally ripped this off and have used it ever since. As I remember when we were first making our very first like formal hires, as opposed to just people who were in like this Facebook group. And I said, Hey, you want to work for us? And they said, Yeah. And you know, that's kind of how we started. And most of those people are no longer here because I had no real profile. I was like, Yeah, you know Facebook ads. All right, yes, come work for us. And we called ourselves the agency back then. And I should have known better because I mean, I've actually done a fair amount of hirings through the corporate world. So when we really started to formalize things and we started to impose a structure inside our company, probably about six or seven years ago, using the book Traction, where we went through a 90-day meeting and we're like, all right, who is the ideal hire for us? And what we did is we went through all the people that are within, at that point in time, you know, the agency tier 11, and we said, who is the ideal hire? Who do we wish we could clone? And then we took that one person, and it's funny because it was Angela, who wasn't on this week's call, but was on uh, a few weeks ago and appears regularly here on, on Perpetual Traffic, is we listed all, not her skills, she was a very gifted media buyer, but what are her talents? We're like, she's got a great marketing IQ. She's got a lot of self-awareness. She's really humble. She's constantly learning. She's got this like ability to just get shit done like all the time. She also, you know, is a very good communicator. Like, so we listed all these traits out, not the things that she was using as a media buyer, but like, what are the real talents, the things that are inherent and the difference between a talent and a skill, you know, per this book, I still believe this to this day is a skill is something that can be taught. You can be taught campaign management. You can be taught negative keywords in Google, right? But how precise or how well you do it or how much attention to detail and how much hunger you have to be the best negative keyword person in the world. I don't even know if that's really a thing, but just using that as an example, I just want to be the best negative keyword person ever. Like that unto itself, that desire is a talent and you have to hire for that. And if you can figure out in your business, and we're just talking about the agency world here, could be like whatever your business is. If you're listening, if you got an e-commerce business, figure out what talents you want to hire for. And it might be one or two or maybe three in most cases. In our case, it's grown to five. And it's five things that we now look for. And then we actually have questions. We have ways in which to screen it. But at the heart of it all, like that's why we're able to not only hire, but retain top talent is because we hire for those five characteristics. And for us, they're humble, hungry, smart, precise, and gets shit done. And that is it. Like those, if you have those five things that I know, like that's embedded in your core ideology, like who you are and traction says, you know, it's your core values, like the core values of your ideal employee. If they have that, then chances are you're going to be able to build a great organization because they've got all the things there. They've got like the basement. They've got the like the, the base structure. They've got the rebar before you add the concrete. The concrete maybe is the talents, I mean, the skills rather that they learn and they get better and better at. But if you have that as a core, you're going to be able to build a really an unstoppable company. Uh-huh. 
Hey, it's Kasim here, and I have a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your website? Now, I know that sounds crazy, but seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully target your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. That means you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and then safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. I've personally met the CEO, Adam Robinson, and the guy is absolutely brilliant. And he believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for PT listeners. If you are an e-commerce brand that's doing over a million in annual revenue and you've gone through their easy 30-minute onboarding process, if you don't 5X your investment within the first six months, they will give you all of your money back. To take advantage of this offer, go to getemails.com forward slash scalable. That's getemails.com forward slash scalable. Hey, PT listeners, when's the last time your business published on its blog? If the answer is, that's way too long for me to remember, I want you to listen up because our friends at BKA Content have a new service where they'll deliver fresh blogs to your inbox and all you have to do is just post them on your site. Now, these articles are all originally written just for your business. They're not generic articles that are just copy and pasted or thrown into some AI software or written by a VA. No, these are professional writers who are going to sit down and write articles just for your business. We've used them in the past, and they're absolutely fabulous. Now, if you want an extra reason to go try them yourself, BK is giving PT listeners half off their first month. Just go to bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual to get started. That's bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual. Hey, Perpetual Traffic listeners, welcome back. And we hope that you are reminiscing like we were about the amazing moments throughout the entire year. And despite how crazy and unpredictable this year has been, we hope that perpetual traffic has given you a little stability, maybe a little humor, and maybe some laughs while keeping you at the cutting edge of what works in traffic and conversion. This next clip comes from an episode that was also a really hot topic this year, and that's the iOS change. This is a topic that obviously affected lots of businesses, and it's no secret why this was one of our most popular episodes. Ralph Cossum and Angela Ponsford from Tier 11 sit down and talk about the iOS change and what it means for marketers moving forward. Thanks so much for being with us today. Let's get into this last clip from our year in special. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 312. And today we've got two of, I think, just the smartest Google and social media advertising people on the planet on this show. So it's a special treat because we've got large brains abounding here. And I love when I'm the not the smartest person on perpetual traffic, which does happen a lot. Let's not get ourselves. But really excited to have back for, I don't know, the hundredth time, the minister of media, the maven of media. We still need to figure out what her actual new title is because she keeps getting promoted at tier 11. She's running the whole damn show. Angela Ponsford, the Skazi from Down Under. How are you, Angela? Welcome back to PT. 
Thank you. I am very well today. Glad to be here. <laughs> That's great. And awesome. Uh, we've got uh, Awesome Kasim Aslam coming back yet again. I'm just going to call you Awesome Kasim just because it just flows just like that. And uh, people get to know who you are on this show, which is really pretty cool. And dropping knowledge bombs about all things Google and digital marketing. Welcome back to Perpetual Traffic. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ralph. Super excited to be here as always. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about some stuff we haven't talked about in about a month and a half or so. Uh, last time we talked about this, well, it had been a topic we had hit on quite a bit here at Perpetual Traffic. And it's probably something you as an advertiser, digital advertiser, are still thinking about, maybe less so with certain platforms than others. If you're a Facebook advertiser, this is probably something that you're dealing with right now. And you're wondering, what the heck do I do? How do I survive in this new world? iOS 14.5, 14.6, and maybe even 15 coming on down the line soon enough. Thank you, Tim Cook. And we're going to be talking about not only just what's been happening and some changes that Facebook announced just this past week, but also what we're seeing inside that platform itself. Yeah, it's, it's been pretty tough. The past week in particular has been tough, but I do have some good news that Facebook have brought out in the past week. So it's not all doom and gloom, but yeah, if you are running Facebook ads for yourself, for customers, then just, you know, I, I see you, I feel you. It's hard. It's tough right now. Um, the main thing really is, is the lack of visibility. So I think there, there's two issues that, that are going on. There's a lack of visibility of the results that are showing in ads manager, which is making it challenging to, to really see what's happening with your campaigns, are they performing, are they not performing? So that's one thing. And then the other thing, which has I don't think it's been acknowledged by, by Facebook, but just the optimization, the optimization of your campaigns, even to cold traffic. So, you know, we all knew with iOS 14 coming in that the retargeting audiences would be affected because we weren't getting all the data coming back through, you know, from the actions that people were taking once they left Facebook. But what we are seeing is that even those ads to cold traffic are struggling as well. And we suspect it's be just because of the lack of data, the lack of signal that's coming back through the algorithm possibly struggling. Now that hasn't been confirmed by Facebook, but we're, we're definitely seeing signs of that across mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of accounts right now. Yeah. So breaking this down, it's two things. It's what you see inside Ads Manager, but it's also how the algorithm is actually using the data, let's say conversion data at this point, to laser focus or to triangulate who to target, who to actually retarget with creating retargeting audiences, obviously the level one through level four audiences and level level fives, which is our purchasers audiences. All of that is now adversely affecting what we see inside of Ads Manager when we log in, but also secondarily, could it have a deleterious effect on ad performance because the machine isn't working as well as it possibly can because it's missing a cohort of data from this update? Is that a yeah. safe analysis? Yeah, absolutely. It is. And I think we're we're particularly feeling it, I would say right now, with customers that have higher CPAs. And that's often because of, you know, the amount of spend that we're pushing through. And there still is that requirement to have uh, or the recommendation to have 50 conversions per week. And, you know, when you're working with higher CPAs, 
that becomes a challenge sometimes, uh, especially customers don't have unlimited budgets, you know, to push through to get that. Yes, we know that that's the best practice, but in reality, sometimes it's just not possible. So we're definitely seeing a drop in performance and not just the perceived and viewed performance in ads manager. We're seeing it in their Shopify stores as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's all an opportunity as well to, to change things up and, and to do things better. So, you know, you know me, I always have a positive slant on these things and there is some, some good news from Facebook as well on this, which I can get onto. So it's an interesting thing. So that's, I mean, we do see a fair amount of fluctuation from customer account to customer accounts. There's, you know, we've got multiple dozens of customer accounts inside tier 11. Some are still doing pretty well overall, meaning pre, you know, 14.5, you know, but some are not. And it stands to reason that if you have a higher CPA target, let's just do the math here. Let's say you've got an ad set that on average is spending, you know, $700 a week, maybe $100 a day, and your CPA is maybe a hundred bucks. Well, that is probably getting, if you're doing all things right, you might be getting seven conversions in a week, which falls short of 50 conversions per week. So because the CPA is higher, that's going to be a smaller subset of optimization data that's being fed back into Facebook. Whereas if I've got a $1 CPA on that, if I do my math correctly, one, you know, 700 divided by one, that's 700 conversions. Chances are the algorithm isn't going to have as much of an issue because even though you might have some loss of signal there, there's still more data. There's more data endpoints if you're uh, you know, whatever your conversion target is, in that case, it might be a lead, obviously, for a dollar. Maybe it might be $100 for a purchase. Whatever the conversion is, the point is, is less data fed back to the machine, not a good thing. More data fed back into the machine, a much better thing. And in this case, in this scenario here with loss of data, it's certainly something that's uh, we're seeing fluctuations from account to account. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think you explained it really well there, Ralph. That's that's exactly what we think is happening right now. So yeah, it, it's challenging. It's challenging times. Uh, I think going back to the fundamentals of of, of marketing, that that really it, that still holds true. Uh, I know we're hearing a lot from our uh, Facebook partner manager around creative, around you know really having good creative that talks to your ideal customer um, or your ideal customers. Uh, something that we were discussing with her yesterday was around you know, putting all your, rather than segmenting out each ad set to hit a specific uh, avatar is putting them all together and putting all that creative in the, in, in the one place. Now, that's a little bit of a controversial idea. Uh, I think for me, I, I've actually never personally seen that to work particularly well. They but, love to give us that advice though, don't you they? Know, just and put this, it all in one and and let the algorithm work. So, um, but we actually are going to try it with one of our customers because the current way that we're doing it ha- has fallen off, has dropped off. Yeah. So we're like, look, let's try it. You know, we have, we have the assets to hit the different avatars. Let's test it and see how it does. So, you know, we can report back on that next time. Uh, we are going to do a little bit of a test. So I guess that's one thing we are taking on board what Facebook are saying and and trying to test it in at least one of our customers' accounts, as long as, you know, there's things that are going on in in those accounts that maybe aren't working. So we're like, okay, let's test something new. Let's try it out. But definitely huge focus for us right now on on creative and making sure that we've got the best creative that we can to hit uh, the avatars for uh, different customers. Yeah. What's funny about that is every time there's a major shakeup with one of these networks, we always go back to fundamentals. 
Always, yeah. always. It's never like, mm-hmm. oh, a new shiny object solves the problem. It's always like, you know, blocking and tackling, go figure out your free throws. I was in, I'm in a Facebook group where somebody asked about the iOS update, was looking for some advice. And you get people dropping, you know, two and 3,000 word diatribes and Ryan Dice chimes in. And all he said was, may the best copywriter win. <laughs> and it was, it was brilliant because he was absolutely right. You know, now we can't cheat. We can't, you know, hide. We can't sneak data out of anything. It's just who has the best message? Who has the best offer? Who has the best hook? And we're right back to where we've always been, which is, you know, focusing on the fundamentals. I think that that's a, that's a lesson I hope we can stop relearning. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, human nature doesn't really change all that much, if at all. And I would submit that it hasn't changed, you know, since at least we've all been alive here. Maybe I've been alive longer than you guys, unfortunately. But the point is, is that that the simple stuff still does work. I mean, it's a it's a reason why we doubled down our focus on creating really compelling messaging avatars and something that we call the ads lab inside tier 11 you know, has it had an impact that mitigates this change? No, it hasn't, but it is still a really important part. And that's advertising basics. Like you mm-hmm. can talk about like divvying up all your traffic into different levels and everything and having different messaging and all these other sorts of things, like the way that we manage our campaigns through this ad amplifier system that we use. The point is, is like that the most important thing really is the front facing ad, but also the second most important thing still is, and I, I would imagine if Ryan did a second post in that group, he'd probably talk about your offer and your offer actually has to be really, really good. Like we were just on a call, uh, you know, oh, these guys are super sharp marketers. You know, they sell products in the fishing space and you know, they've had a product that has done extremely well as a tripwire offer, sort of a, you know, a $7 low price product, $5 in that range. And then the upsell path is into their membership site. And they have a, a one, you know, one click upsell or sort of an order bump on the order page. And I asked them like, well, their results keep going, like their CPAs keep going up and up and up and up and up, especially in the last 30 days or so they've seen, you know, real increases in CPA, but lower overall return on ad spend. I said, well, how long have you guys been running that offer? They said, well, two years to the same market wow. with basically the same stuff. And I said, well, but they, they were smart enough to realize they said, okay, we understand this offer is tired or maybe we retire it, but still it's like, you got to cycle stuff through. It's not going to be just one product forever, unless you're in a mass market or you have the cure for cancer, it doesn't matter what it is. So what they have figured out, and which is one of the reasons why we really want to work with them is like, we'll obviously help guide them through this. But they said, all right, we're going to take that same kind of offer and maybe with a different product, very similar to it, same style, because at the end of the day, they know they need to probably go negative to acquire a customer, but they make up for it on the back end because their lifetime value, which they've dialed in based upon who opts in or who buys into their like their you know their club their insiders club is 10x more than it would be maybe not 10x i think it was about 7x more than it would be if they didn't opt into that club so what i'm saying here is like no matter where you're advertising whether it's google whether it's facebook whether it's anything in between like your job when it comes to advertising is to be a business owner and to look at your business from top to bottom the entire thing like how can i approach my audience who is interested in my stuff with an offer, maybe multiple offers at the same time, maybe not just one, these guys hit it out of the park with one, which is great, but they figured out a system and a way in which to acquire customers. 
and the offer got tired. Great. Like that happens. I don't care if you're, you know, if you're John Carlton writing ad copy for them, you know, they're not going to get lower CPAs, but what they do need is another offer in which to approach the same potential target market, swap that out and maybe bring back this offer that's tired at a later date. That's marketing. That's not just relying on advertising. And I think us as business owners, we have to think far more holistically about how to grow our business. Because if you've got a great video that converts today, great. That just means you've got an expiration date on that video because it's going to eventually tire out. I don't care who you are, what you're doing, but you make the plan right now. And I think that does mitigate some of this iOS stuff that we're dealing with. I mean, I don't mean to sound like an old, you know, fart coming into the advertising world, but like, let's not get too far away from the fact that we still have it good, but it's just going to separate out the wheat from the chaff to a certain degree, especially, you know, what's happening right now on iOS. And it certainly sounds like that's going to be the case when, when Flock does arrive and uh, when Google doesn't tell us it's arrived, people will just start seeing it in the results, especially the small business owner. So uh, really appreciate both of you guys coming on here today. This has been tremendous. This has been episode 312. Hey, Perpetual Traffic listeners. Thanks so much for sticking around and for being a part of our community. It's because of listeners like you that we've been able to create an amazing show. And we hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we have creating it. We wish your business a ton of success heading into this new year and can't wait for you to tell us about all the successes that you had. Have a safe and happy new year. And we'll see you next year. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. 